Weren't those exciting stories to hear about Operation Christmas Child? You know, we, we start off somewhere around November talking about needing to get so many boxes, and we try to encourage people to get five more, ten more, whatever it is, and we forget about these incredible stories that end up happening across the world. One of the, the ones I was reading about are two girls that were best friends, and they did not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and because of what they got in the Operation Christmas Child box, they both became sisters in Christ, best friends who became sisters in Christ. So thanks for what you are doing with all of that. And you don't have to load a box to make a difference in this world. All you have to do is show up for Bible school. So all of you, you already have it filled out? Let's go ahead and fill it out right now. You're wondering what you're going to do during the sermon. This is it. Fill this thing out. Make sure we get it in. It's such a great ministry. And uh, we have a we kind of have a pattern here at Westgate of just kind of waiting to the very last minute. That, that fosters a lot of stress for our leaders. So let's just go ahead and get that done during the message. And also wanted to remind you, this came to my attention just the other day, and it was actually on the front page of the uh, Beaumont Enterprise yesterday, but a young man who graduated from Lumberton in 2005, uh, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name right, David Healing, he's a filmmaker, and he has produced and, and put together a film called His Only Child, it's about Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. Comes out this week nationwide. And it will be shown Thursday night here at Cinemark 15. And then it opens on Friday. So I hope that we as a, a community of faith would support endeavors like that and go out and be a part of that. I, it's been such a long time since I went to the movie. We went to see the Jesus Revolution. Michelle and I not, not gone in such a long time. Didn't even know that they had recliners in movie theaters. But... <laughs> And they also had sound. We, we had not experienced that the last time we went. Um, it was in color, and uh, we realized that we didn't even help deteriorate the, the, the recliners. They need to be replaced now. But anyway, uh, we're going to plan to go, so I hope you'll plan on, on, on going as well. A couple of people we want to recognize uh, today, it is Ron Lee's, well, he's working on 91, but his 90th birthday was yesterday. Ron, where are you with all of your family? Here's Ron. Congrats. 90 laps around the sun. That is amazing. And um, because he's such a good guy, he had people coming literally from all over the country. They were coming from the east and the west and the north. So would all of your family stand up? Because I know you've driven a long way to hear this sermon. <laughs> good to see all of you. Great to have you here. And Ron is such a good guy. We're so thankful for him. We, we made him pastor emeritus a few years back at Westgate. Thankful for your ministry, your, your legacy, the way that you have inspired so many of us in our walk with the Lord. So we look forward to celebrating your 100th birthday here in 10 years. Nine years, 364 days from now. Yeah. And then also we want to recognize Keith and Sharon Spoonmore back visiting. Uh, I was... Are you... We will have an opportunity for you to rejoin the church at the end of the service if you want to migrate back from the hill country. I was speaking to someone the other day that lives out in the hill country, and I said, I think you have half of our church out there. Everybody retires and moves in that direction, but good to have you guys back. We miss John and Becky Reimers. When, uh, I didn't mention that a couple weeks ago down in Corpus Christi. Uh, so uh, anyway, God has blessed us with such rich people here. Keith was the one who said years ago, that he thought Westgate was the best kept secret in Beaumont. And I would, uh, I would hope that that would no longer be true. 
not that we wouldn't be good, but that we wouldn't be such a secret, and we would let other people know about that. And next week, uh, I'm hopeful that you'll have an opportunity to have a card to invite somebody to church. Let's just lower the playing field. Let's, let's, let's just level the playing field. So you don't feel any pressure. Just plan on inviting someone to an evangelical church for Easter. Could be Westgate, could be somewhere else. You may live closer to another church. Be sure and invite somebody to an evangelical church where they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, we've been in a series called Providential Postcard uh, as we look through the book of Jude. And as we began this book, we were reminded that he had the intention of writing about salvation. And we could only wonder what kind of book that would have been. But God rerouted his attentions and he had him address the issue of false teachers and false teaching, which was a very prevalent concern that was completely consuming the church. But at the end of his book, in God's providence, he leads him back to his initial plan, and in one concise, powerful, maybe the most powerful statement about salvation in all of Scripture, he gives us this beautiful statement about what we have in Christ. He said in verse 3, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. And now he does just that. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, to be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. I want us to focus on one statement this morning, a little bit different than some previous messages. We're going to focus on one statement, and then we're going to go back and we're going to unpack uh, words and phrases in the, these two verses that are simply one sentence. And the phrase is this, is that God saves us to enjoy eternal life with him. And my hope is, as the title of the message, we will have an outburst of joy, because that's exactly what Jude does as he concludes his postcard. We know what it is to have an outburst of anger. Maybe we have experienced that coming from us or from someone else, but we know what an outburst of anger is, but what does an outburst of joy look like? Jude gives us a great example of that right here in the closing words of his postcard. Jude spent most of his words in this brief letter talking about the danger and the futility of trying to live life apart from God. He described the deadly end result of what that leads to, of that particular pursuit. And he also reminds us that people who follow that will be empty, they will be selfish, and they will be destructive. It's really a vivid reminder to all of us that what we believe affects the way that we live. We oftentimes think about our beliefs and say, okay, what, what do I believe and that will affect the way that I live? But what if we reverse that? What if we said, take my life right now, your life, my life, take our lives, and let's flip it around and say, what is my life communicating about what I believe right now? Not 10 years ago, not 20 years ago, not a different season of life, but right now. What does your life say that you believe? And Jude is reminding us of how significant that is. He's been talking about that as he's moved through this book. And he's been talking to Christians that were really pretty discouraged. Because they were having to contend with people that were trying to run down the faith. They were trying to say that it's, it's better to live apart from God. You will, you will enjoy life far more if you live your life apart from God. 
They were being persecuted, demoralized, humiliated, embarrassed. And in many ways, their lives were quite hard. And he says to all of them, you need to be a good cheer. Because we need to contend for the faith that gives us so much. It's so rich. He starts off by saying that God is the one who saves us. Remember that Jude was a half-brother of Jesus, and he didn't believe that he needed his brother's help to be made right with God until the resurrection. Remember John chapter 7, verse 5? It says that even his brothers didn't believe in Jesus. They lived with him. They saw him each and every day. They came together for meals. They worked together. Yet they didn't believe that Jesus really was the Son of God. But then you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 14, and it's very interesting to see that in the upper room with the disciples and the followers of Jesus Christ, it says his brothers. Jesus' brothers were forever changed by the resurrection that he experienced. So Jude correctly understood John 14, 6. He, he understood what Jesus said, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He understood that we cannot save ourselves. Only Jesus can do that. And that's why Jude would say, to him who is able. God is the one who saves us. It's similar to what you will see at night when you look up into the sky and you see the moon, depending on whether it's waxing or waning. But as you look up at it, you see whatever light is being reflected, whether it's a full moon or it's, it's next to nothing, the light that it's generating is simply a reflection. Without the sun, there is no light. The moon simply reflects the light of the sun. And that's a picture of our lives. Without Christ, we would be buried in darkness. But with him, we can reflect a life of great beauty. And that's what Jude is saying. To him, God is the one who saves us. Maybe closer to home. Uh, some of us like to experience the nightlife with the refrigerator light on. We like to go into a dark room and open it and just pretend like the light is giving us some kind of illumination. You think about your refrigerator for a moment. Your refrigerator without the, without the freezer is a useless box. I didn't know this until our thermostat went out uh, about a year and a half ago, and the guy who came by to repair, repair our refrigerator explained to me that your refrigerator doesn't generate any cool air. Most of you probably already knew that. I didn't. He said, your refrigerator is cooled by your freezer. By itself, it does absolutely nothing. It's totally dependent upon the freezer to bring cool air in. If the refrigerator isn't connected to the freezer, it is a completely useless box. And what's inside of it will not only rot, but as those of us who have experienced hurricanes, we know it will cause it to reek inside. Rot and reek without the freezer. And that's a little bit like what Jesus does for us. With Jesus, we are given purpose so that this otherwise useless box has meaning. And that's what Jude is saying to him. That's why he says the theme of this, the theme of this, this book is contend for the faith. Because it's the only way that we can experience salvation. It's the only thing that will save. Everything else will, what? Disappoint. Peter, who denied that he knew Jesus for fear of what a servant girl would do to him, 
stands before the very men who condemned Christ to death and the ones who stood at the cross and mocked him. And he said to those very men in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else but Christ. So as Jude is drawing this to a close, he's saying this is what we have. God is the one who saves us. We don't have to save ourselves because we can't. God in his mercy saves us. Only God can keep us from stumbling to our death in sin. Who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault? And I hope you can read all of this on the screens. I want to just leave these verses up so you could continue to see each one of these little phrases about what he is saying. Jude takes us back to verse 1. Remember verse 1, he, he said that you are kept by Jesus Christ. It literally means to protect. Jesus is the one who protects us for our eternal salvation. John would write about that in 1 John 4, 4. He's greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Paul would write about that in Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? You know, at Easter, we're reminded of Jerusalem's Navy SEALs and Army Rangers guarding the tomb of Jesus. They were the most powerful military force you could imagine. We oftentimes think, you know, we, we hear the story about them sleeping, and we, we bought into what, what the religious leaders told was a lie. And the idea that they're just a bunch of misfits that are kind of hanging out, and they're falling asleep and drinking. But this was the elite of the military that was guarding his tomb. It had the seal of Rome on it. And if that seal was broken by anybody, the guards would not only be executed, but they would be burned in the clothes that they were wearing. This was a serious group of guys. And when Jesus resurrected back to life, they fell to the ground in total fear. Just This is who God is. As you move through the book of Acts, you, you find that prison doors are no match for God's power. Just think about what happens in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5, we have Peter and John, and they're arrested, and they're put in jail. But the next day, they're out free. An angel comes and lets them out in the middle of the night. In Acts chapter 12, Peter is in jail. Herod has just killed James, and now he thinks, well, I'll, I'll set Peter up to be killed, and he puts him in prison, and that night, an angel comes and lets him out from jail. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in a Philippian jail, and what happens? God lets them out. There is nobody as powerful and mighty, omnipotent as God. And he is the one who keeps us from stumbling. It's a picture of a sure-footed horse. Uh, just out of curiosity, how many of you have been to the Grand Canyon and you've gone down on one of those mules? I'd just like to see if you've done that. I grew up in Arizona and never did it. How many? Okay, a couple of you guys have done that. And it's, it's, it's wild to see it. I mean, when you're, you're walking and you see those mules and they, they just kind of rock from side to side and like there's a, you know, a, a 50,000 foot cliff right here and they just kind of rock to the side. We wouldn't be having those things continuing at the Grand Canyon if one of those mules fell over every week or so, right? I mean, they're sure-footed and they just plod along precariously close to those dangerous ledges. That's the picture that we have here. No matter what the situation is, no matter how dangerous it seems, we just plod along and never fall. It's a picture of Psalm 37, 23 through 24. It says, the steps of the godly 
are directed by the Lord. He delights in every detail of their lives. They will not stumble, for the Lord holds him by the hand. It's God who saves us, the one who keeps us from stumbling. God saves us to enjoy eternal life with him. Now, all that we talked about is in the present. And then he moves into the future to say to present you before his glorious presence without fault. God describes the majesty of heaven in Scripture. But our, our imaginations can't take us far enough to comprehend how wonderful that will be. It, it, in many ways, heaven sounds like a consolation prize, right? I mean, we want to live as long as we can, as rich as we can, and, and then we die. And we go to heaven. And why we think of that is because we picture it like church, and we think, oh, my soul, eternity. I mean, I'm just hoping we get out by noon today and an eternity like this. Our imaginations cannot take us far enough. But he says to present you before his glorious presence without fault. What, what does that mean? We talked about the hopelessness just a few minutes ago as we were reading scripture and singing. We, in our sinfulness, are like the hopelessly indebted man that Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 18. His debt was bigger than the Silicon Valley Bank. And he was going to have to pay that off by working for minimum wage in prison. That's who we are. We have no hope of redeeming ourselves. But Jesus says he is the one. Because our rap sheet is so long, we'd easily get eternity in prison. But don't you love what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, those verses before what we read? What is it, Ephesians 2, 4? But God. Some of the greatest words in all Scripture. But God. We are hopeless without God. But God, in his rich mercy makes us spotless, blameless, flawless. Peter would use the exact same term that we see here in 1 Peter 1.19, talking about Jesus, that Jesus is spotless, blameless, flawless, and Jude transposes that same statement onto us as followers of Jesus Christ to say, that's how you will be presented before God faultless, blameless, spotless before him. What a great word to be reminded of that. Because we don't have any hope of doing that on our own. It's eternal life. Not just now, but for all of eternity. And I know you're not with me yet, but hang with me for just a couple minutes. For all of eternity. See, eternal life would lose its joy if we thought we could lose it. It's not eternal if it doesn't last eternally. And Jude is reminding his followers in all of the situations that you're facing right now, this is eternal. It goes on forever. Nobody can take that away from you. Some of you are old enough to remember the assassination of President John Kennedy. I was four at the time. 
And his wife, Jackie, called for an eternal flame to be installed on his grave. So a contemporary contraption was hastily manufactured in time for his burial. It was called the eternal flame. Just two weeks later, a group of Catholic schoolchildren visited the memorial in Arlington Cemetery. The visit included the use of holy water, and it resulted in the flame going out. As one historian noted, quote, luckily, one of the grave guards happened to be a smoker, so he used a cigarette lighter to reignite the memorial. Four years later, in 1967, the permanent memorial was completed, and later that year, rain and wind caused the eternal flame to go out again. Now, supposedly, it's only gone out one other time since then, but it's really classified as not going out because they had to do some modifications to make it more energy efficient. And so they had to take the flame and put it over to the side and keep it burning while they built another eternal flame. Inside the eternal flame is a constantly flashing electric spark that immediately reignites the flame if it goes out. And it does it so quickly that you wouldn't be able to tell that it went out. So who knows how many times it's actually gone out and quickly been reignited. All that to say that the eternal flame is not really eternal. But the eternal life that Jude is talking about, it never goes out. Okay, so we've talked about that. You're still not convinced. I can tell. You're about as bored as they come. You're still not convinced. So what? That's great. One day I'll capitalize on that. But what about this statement? God saves us to what? Enjoy eternal life. Did you know that God saved you to enjoy eternal life? You would never know that by the way that we sing. And I'm right there, I don't smile, and I just, I, I sometimes start laughing while we're singing because we're singing about this great joy that we have in Christ, and I, I look like I have just uh, been eating lemons. But it says that God saves us to enjoy eternal life. To Him, God, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before His glorious presence without a single fault, blemish, with great joy. In Revelation chapter 19, it says the marriage feast of the Lamb, when it's talking about that, it says that the word hallelujah is shouted four times. Shouted. So we know that there'd be more than Baptists there because Baptists would never do that. <laughs> Jesus has obtained our salvation and he maintains our salvation. That's something to celebrate. And when we get to heaven, what we'll be celebrating is the consummation of all God's promises. We read through Scripture time and time again about the promises of God. Sometimes we feel as if it hasn't quite happened yet. But when we're in heaven, it will be the celebration of all of God's promises coming to reality. As 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. One day all of those promises will be made real. Without God's provision of eternal life, the joy of salvation would disappear. 
Could you imagine if you were trying to make your salvation last? Adrian Rogers has a great visual of that. He says that when Noah was building the ark, he didn't instruct him to put eight pegs on the side of the ark and have Noah and his family hang on until the flood was over. He put them inside the ark. See, we don't have to hang on. God hangs on to us. The question is, are we truly hanging on to him? Have we truly put our confidence in him? See, Article 5 of the Baptist Faith and Message was a statement about what we believe as Baptists. says that every true, true believer in Christ will endure to the end. They will persevere. They won't just have a season of following Christ, but they will follow hard after Christ the remaining days of their one and only life. This doxology that Jude is giving at the conclusion of his postcard is an outburst of praise because what is happening is we are being taken back to the Garden of Eden before there was sin, before there was any hiding, before there were any fig leaves. We're in the very presence of God without any fear of what we have done. Let me take you back to a memory that we all have. It's not a collective memory. It's a memory that we all have individually. You were sitting in church, and something was said or happened, and you started laughing. Now, that happens from time to time, not often in church, but from time to time it does. But you will remember that time because... It began, and you couldn't stop. You were probably with a friend or a sibling, and the more you tried to stop laughing, the worse it got. So you employed that age-old strategy of biting your tongue, pinching yourself, or thinking about horrible, sad things. But then you would catch picture of them out of the corner of your eye, and all of a sudden you're snorting all over again. By now your mom or somebody else is trying to pinch you to get you to stop. You remember that time? It's probably happened more than once in your life, right? Come on, just go with me on this. It's happened, right? I hope you're there. That's the picture we're talking about. In eternity, you are sitting next to God, And neither one of you can stop laughing. That's what Jude is talking about here. That's the salvation that we have in Christ. God saves us to enjoy eternal life with him. It's not that you're sitting in heaven with somebody you know and you start laughing. And God is off on a distant hillside somewhere. Sometimes we think of heaven. What's heaven going to be like? Oh, it's going to have the golf courses. It's going to be able to do this all the time. Heaven is heaven because of God. That's what makes heaven heaven. If God wasn't there, you wouldn't want to go. Neither would I. That's why Bishop Thomas Ken, 400 years ago, born almost 400 years ago, left as an orphan, ultimately found his way to faith, and served as a minister. He wrote a song that had 14 stanzas. When's the last time you sang one like that? And the last stanza was inserted into the song just two years before he died, 1709. And these are the words of the doxology, the words that 
that Jude uses here. The glory of God, the glory, the majesty, and the power, and the authority of Jesus Christ before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. And these are the words of the doxology that we will sing at the conclusion of the service, penned by an orphan who was adopted by Christ and found meaning and purpose in his salvation with Christ. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen! Exclamation point. That's why we come to this table, to celebrate what we have in Christ. For some of you in this room, you may have never received Christ. And all that we've talked about sounds interesting, curious, but it's not your reality yet. Friends, the good news is it can be today. For you to understand that God loves you and he's created you to have this kind of eternal life, eternal life through which you can enjoy him forever. But the problem, as Jude has alluded to, is so many people try to live their life apart from God, thinking that that is adequate and it's not. That will forever separate us from God, our sin will. Our sin will. But thankfully, Jesus Christ can make us right with God. All we have to do is repent, and that means to turn away from our sin. It's to make an exchange. I mean, it's not a hard exchange, but so many people struggle with that. It's to hold our sin and to see the eternal life of Christ, and we say, God, I want to exchange my sin for your eternal life. But so many times we look at the eternal life and we clutch onto our sin, and it doesn't work. We have to let go to receive. You can do that with a simple prayer that begins a relationship with Christ that I want to lead us in in just a moment. And I would invite you to pray with me. Love y'all. Thanks for listening. God, we thank you for the great promises that you have given us through your word. To think that there was a time 2,000 years ago, a man who once didn't believe in you lived under the same roof as you while you walked the face of this earth. Came to the realization that you truly were the Son of God and was forever changed. That he would sit down as a man who once didn't believe and he would write about what he does believe and the difference that is made. That you are the God who saves us to enjoy eternal life with you. Lord, my heart is heavy for friends even now that haven't yet crossed that line. I pray that today would be the day that they would reach out and say, I can't imagine a better exchange than my sin for God's eternal life. They would voice a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, for those of us that are believers in Christ, I pray that as we go into this Lord's Supper, we would, if not out loud, at least inside, we would shout the hallelujahs of what we have in Christ that you have given us the opportunity to enjoy all of eternity with you. 
We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to invite our deacons to make their way to the front now and so that we can have the Lord's Supper together. And you guys, when you get down here, go ahead and begin to process the elements so we can pass them out. And for those of you that are not members of Westgate, I want to say that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you are seeking to follow after him, you're not living in unrepentant sin, you're seeking to be obedient to him. You profess your faith in Christ, you've been baptized by immersion as Christ commands in scripture, then we invite you to join us. You don't have to be a member of Westgate. Also want to remind you that when you receive the elements, may feel a little confusing because you see it looks like one cup and you see the juice and guys you go ahead and begin to pass those out when you're ready be mindful that the wafer is underneath the juice in a second cup and just gently turn that and it will come apart and you'll see the wafer there and you'll have the juice you might need to help each other hold the tray for one another that's what the communion is about we don't take it individually we take it together to celebrate collectively what we have in christ so you begin to pray. The scripture reminds us to examine our hearts to make sure that we are where we need to be with the Lord, fully confessed, repentant of all of our sin.
Steve, would you lead us in prayer? Lord, there's so much going on on the news and in the media. We just forget, Lord. We ask you that you still our hearts and still our minds, Lord, that we may focus on you. Focus on the sacrifice of your son. Focus on the son that, that loves us so much. Help us to remember how much he loves us. Help us remember the hope that he's coming again, Lord, and we get to spend eternity with him. We praise you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We ask you to help us shut out this noisy world that we're in, Lord, and to feel your presence and to realize how much you love us to sacrifice your son. In your holy name we pray, Lord. Amen. As you take the wafer, you're reminded of what Jesus shouted from the cross to tell us die. Your debt in all of its entirety has been paid because this is his body, which was broken for you. So do this in remembrance of him. Juice is such a vivid symbol of the blood that was shed for us, the sacrifice that was paid. And Jesus did all of that so that we could enjoy eternal life with him. That's why we do this. Aren't you thankful for the Christians throughout the centuries that have continued to be faithful, to remind us and to teach us that this very important ordinance so that we are reminded regularly what Christ has done for us. Jesus said, this cup, it's a new covenant sealed with my blood. So every time you drink it, remember me. Now, if you would take your cup and you see a little cup holder there in front of the pew, just set it there. And, uh, couple of directives before we conclude our service. If you have a decision that you would like to make, maybe in reference to following Christ as your Lord and Savior, possibly to become a member of Westgate, maybe a special need to be prayed over, you'll see a communication card in front of you, and you can fill that out with just your name and phone number. Don't need any more information than that. And whatever your decision, request, desire is, prayer request, and you can leave that at the Connection Center right outside here. You can just stop by there and drop it off. There's also two offering boxes. If you're a guest, no obligation to give. You can just drop it in there for convenience so that we can get in touch with you. All of you that are members of Westgate, I want to remind you that we have police officers in the atrium to guard against anybody leaving before they sign up for Vacation Bible School. <laughs> so as you are leaving, make sure you get your card turned in. And now that I have you laughing just a little bit, I'm going to try to coax one more thing out of you. I want you, as Baptist, to shout hallelujah. Hallelujah is a phrase 
that was used to express praise for something. Hallelujah. But Yah was added at the end to connect it with the name of God. So it was unique to Christians to say we were giving praise to God, not just we're giving praise because our team won in March Madness. We're giving praise to God. So knowing that, on the count of three, three, however you feel about your salvation and what Christ has done for you and how significant that is, you say it however you feel, okay? And we'll shout hallelujah. One, two, three. Amen. I know some of you hate this, but we're going to do a little throwback. We're not going to go to this permanently, just a little bit throwback for today because of what we have to celebrate in Christ. So I want you to stand together and join your hearts and your hands all across the sanctuary. And we're going to sing the doxology written by an orphan who was adopted by Christ and expressed the joy of his eternal life in these brief words. Praise God from all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, And do not forget, do not forget to stop by the Heart for Inmates table and sign up to pray. Hearts for Inmates tables out there today. <laughs> 